Welcome to the podcast, everybody. What's the name of the podcast? It's Open Mic. Because do you know what that is? Do you know what that is, Chris Cryo? No. It's fucking wordplay. Genius. Wordplay. Wordplay. Inside joke. Everybody on this team knows how highly I think of wordplay and how much I love to use it. No? Uh, We know your disdain for it. Yeah. Kyle likes... Kyle has this little thing where he likes to respond seriously to jokes. (laughs) It's a... It's a bug. Jesus Christ. (laughs) So, Kyle, team camp's over. We made it through. It was shaky there the last 48 hours. It was busy. Although, we, we have to maybe give public recognition to Rob Britton for doing an airport run. Rob Britton did, did come through big. What a guy. Of all uh, the team camps you've attended, how does this one rank up as far as fun, stress, busyness, professionalism, everything? How was it? What, what letter grade do you give us? I think overall, if we average everything out, it'd probably wind up being uh, B plus. It's not bad. It's not bad. I'll take that. First team camp I organized. Only thing I probably ever organized. I'll take a B plus. Yeah. We had a little bit of a logistical hurdle getting up and down the mountain every day, but we sorted that out towards the end. We got it sorted. Uh, on the podcast today, Meredith Miller. You guys will be listening to this. Just as Meredith is getting ready to race the world championships, some godforsaken place in Holland where you should not be riding bikes this time of the year. It's supposed to rain, too, which makes it even... She likes that sort of thing. Like warm rain? Like tropical rain? I think about 40 degrees Fahrenheit. That's nice. You know what? That's like riding in the shower. That's not that bad. No, I mean, we're going to the Dominican Republic, and it's going to be basically the same thing there. It's going to be amazing. Cradle. What's up? I want you to take one guess. Think really hard. Who is sponsoring this podcast? Um, Colorado Cyclist. Boom. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. Uh, I'm going to be honest with everybody. I'm a little disappointed in you guys. I haven't seen the like the Twitter love towards Colorado Cyclist that I was kind of hoping for. I don't know. Do I need to bribe you guys? Do I need to give more shit away? Let me fucking know. I haven't got any ideas. You guys are just like baby birds with their mouths open, just saying, give me more, give me more. I don't even know what the fuck to give you. Help me out. Carter Cyclist is helping me out. You need to help them out. It's, just, uh, it's like the best three-way possible, you know? Like, you don't want like having some three-way and then having one person in the corner just watching. That's no fun. There's a name for that. What's that? Um... In certain scenarios, it's called a cuckolding, I think. Like, if you're, yeah. the, one, if you're the dude watching... And it. the people listening are cuckolds. Yeah. You guys are a bunch of cuckolds. Carl Cyclist and I are getting it on here in the corner, having the best time, and you guys are a bunch of cuckolds just watching. All right? Don't watch Carl Cyclist and I blow each other. To uh, to do the the embarrassing bits, but 
Maybe we'll add it towards the end. So go to the end of this podcast. We'll add an embarrassing story. But, uh, again, seriously, I want you guys to reach out to Carl Cyclist. Say thanks. Reach out to Meredith, because I didn't even know Meredith before this podcast. And she, she was willing to sit down and talk to me. Like, now we're half of each other. Yeah. And now, like, I have a best friend for life. Like, I really feel like Meredith and I are, like, totally, like, I'm in her will. She told me that later. Whatever. The crickets aren't in the will. You're not in the will. You know, uh, we were talking, and you guys are probably going to hear it, but in the middle she broke down and she said, nobody's ever cared about me this much before. And uh, I just... And that's coming from a people that... Or a person that uh, cares for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you would think is cared for by a lot of people. Apparently she's reviled because, I mean, she, I really feel like I connected to her in a way that nobody else has yet. Mm. So there you go, Meredith's friends. I just usurped you in no time. Anything left to add, Cradle? Um, no. Nothing? Well, I have to kill like two more seconds. Okay, enjoy the podcast. One, two, three, go.
The head nod thing. Ah. I don't know. Really do this. Yeah. Cool. All right. Sorry. Yeah, bye. See ya. You can let yourself out too. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe you knock on the way out. You're dyslexic with knocks. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, now we got rid of those guys. <laughs> yeah. Jerks. All business now. So this is like the second <clears throat> podcast. I did one with um, Mara. Mm-hmm. Like where you know somebody. Yeah. You know of them. Right. But you don't know them. Right. Like because I've seen you around obviously. I know. I was telling Sean. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know Mike at all. I don't think we've ever really had a conversation. It's weird when you run like in the same social circle. Yeah. And then you see them on Twitter or Facebook yeah. and you're like. Yeah. It's it feels awkward to like back up a step and like introduce yourself because you're <laughs> exactly. like, well, I, so why am I introducing myself around? to somebody I know so much about? <laughs> Again, I'm not stalking you. I don't. I want you to feel totally creeped out by this. Uh, right. Do girls get that a lot on Twitter? Do you get like the weird cyber stalker guy? More on Facebook. Really? Because there's yeah. a lot of photos on Facebook. Yeah. That and somebody who, yeah, there's this. I guess I can message you really. I don't know, I can see message everyone, but there's this one guy in particular from SoCal that likes likes everything and has a comment about everything. Really? You haven't been like rude enough to block him yet? No, it doesn't really bother me because the comments are pretty safe. You know, they're sure. just like, "Oh, happy birthday" or "Good race," or, you know. But it's just <laughs> it's a really safe comment. Lots of people say happy. Birthday. But it's on everything. You know, it, it's not. It hasn't been creepy other than he just does it all the time. You know? They always talk about like the inequality in women's cycling, but like you girls do get a lot more stalkers than we do. I mean, I think you guys should look on the upside. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I I check. I have a checklist of how many. I mean, if you wanted like a boyfriend instantly. Right, right. You could probably find right at team camp every year. We compare who has the most stalkers. No, you don't. <laughs> you do. There's got to be a little bit. Well, no, I'm sure every now and then we'll be like, okay, so who knows so and so and like three people, you know? Oh, say, yeah, oh yeah, 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 I've got that guy. He follows me too. We had, I think we did something on uh, Jesse, Anthony, and I did something with Pat McCarty. Yeah. We were on the couch, and we would. I think it was Facebook, and you would find, like, the random, like, hot girl that was following you, and then you would, or that you were following, maybe, and then see how many of your guy friends were following her, too. <laughs> right. And it, it was funny. Oh, okay. Now I got the game. The game was friend requests on Facebook. Uh-huh. Because, like, I have, like, because... I started, when I first got Facebook, I would just accept anybody. Yeah. It's like, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever. Yeah. And then as it comes on, you're just like, well, this is weird. Mm-hmm. So I stopped. So now right. I got like a backlog of like a thousand friend requests. <laughs> but they show yeah. mutual friends. Yes. Right. So then the game was, is you go through your friends or, or your requests. Request, yeah. And you see the random girl who did it. And then you click on her and see who among your guy friends had already ah, accepted her. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah, and I think Jesse won the game, like, going away. It wasn't even That's close. not a surprise, though, is it? No, not at I all. I love Jesse to death, but it was so bad. It was just like, dude, really? Is there a girl that that does didn't? not surprise me at all. 
We should maybe we should do your podcast purely about Jesse for like seventy. Yeah. You know what the funny part is? Right now I'm imagining him listening to this and just going like, "Aw, guys," because you know he can only get so mad. Right. He just you can't Good drama. You can't Good really drama. get yeah, you can't get him mad. You can only make him sad. You're just like he's like, "Aw, guys, that's not cool." I just you know what I'm a nice fuck. We gotta stop. <laughs> So, cross nationals. Oh, hilarious. Ten days yeah. away, twelve days. What is it? Two weeks. I haven't started counting down yet. I should. It's what a week? Uh, eight, eight days. Eight, eight days. days, right? In your hometown. Yeah. Hometown is where it's, you live. Yeah, hometown. Do, do you consider it hometown? I do now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I've been in Colorado seven years, but five of those years, or a little, little under five years, was in Fort Collins. Yeah. I just moved to Boulder a little over two years ago. You're a Colorado gal. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, this of all the places I've lived, this is the place I've lived the second longest, most years. Yeah. Where was the first place? Alabama. That's oh. where I grew up. There. Yeah. I lived there until I was sixteen. Birmingham. How was it? Is it great? I, you know it, I liked it when I lived there. Yeah. But I don't go back anymore, and I do you have I want to. Still I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, my mom, my my aunts and her family and cousin, my cousins are still there. You don't get out there that way much. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. I actually there's um last year when I was doing more mountain biking, I wanted to go back and do a mountain bike race at Oak Mountain Amphitheater because that was down the road from where I lived. It was where I went to my very first concert. Wow. Yeah. So I I really wanted to go back and and check it out because I I've also heard that the mountain bike m- mountain biking in that area is great. But yeah, I lived in Georgia for like a year. Oh really? Maybe a couple hours north of where you were at. And- okay. No, the riding there was really great. Yeah, see, I never, I was not into cycling, never knew what cycling was when I lived there. How did you get into it then? Well, so I played, God, I started playing sports when I was six. I started playing fast pitch softball. Always sports? Yeah. So, uh, Were you yeah, like a so cowboy growing up? Or? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, so I played softball, ran track, played, started playing soccer in fourth grade, played soccer all the way through college at UW-Madison. Okay. And then when I graduated from college, I played in a kind of like a semi-pro summer league. And then the team that I was playing on in Madison after that summer, after that season was over, folded. And so the next closest team was in Chicago, but I didn't want to leave Madison, and Chicago was too far to drive back and forth for practice. How did you like Madison? Was it cool? I liked it. I had fun there. Yeah. Yeah. I could never live there now. The winters would crack me. Oh, my God. Totally way too much um was there a saying like in cold climates like that they say about portland but they also say about Minnesota. it's like you never fall in love never fall in love in the summer because nothing's <laughs> nothing's ever going to be as great as that day yeah right yeah the summers there were the, it was so much fun being around the lake and but the winters were brutal and you had to ride a bike to get to classes yeah so i don't <laughs> The number of times I wiped out over ice and <laughs> snow and wet, yep. wet uh, train tracks and everything, it was terrible. And then you'd see all the big football players on their scooters, you know, getting around. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> There's, there goes the athletes on sure. their scooters. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then after I finished, yeah, so I finished playing soccer that summer and wanted to do something else competitive because I'd always been an athlete. And... Um, my boyfriend at the time had started cycling, you know, was learning a little bit about it, you know, learned about the Tour de France for the first time in 97. Okay. And was like, what are they doing? What, what kind of bikes are they on? You know, I mean, it was just completely something new to me. 
But being in Madison, they had a really awesome cycling. They still do have a great cycling community. Yeah. And so I joined this women's team and had some really great veteran, you know, knowledgeable, helpful women get me started and raced a couple. Well, I guess just one year in Madison in '98, and then move, and then we moved to California. I moved to California, and that's where I was like, oh, people actually do this for a living, right. you know? What part of California? Berkeley. Okay. Yeah, and, and started racing more there, and then after, I was in California for four years, and then we moved to Denmark, and that's when I started racing full-time. Really? It's like counterintuitive, you think? Yeah, yeah. They, so, did they have like uh, a, obviously they had some sort of women's racing, you yeah. not much of it, but... Yeah, so the year before, or the, like the summer that we were moving, and when I say we, I mean my ex-husband and I... Yeah. Um, He's a professor up at CSU, and so we were moving around for his PhD and postdoc and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So um, the summer before we were going to move to Denmark, this team in, in, from Denmark was at the Montreal World Cup uh-huh. when they used to have a women's World Cup there. And I, I introduced myself and said, "Hey, I'm going to be moving to Denmark later this year. You know, are you guys looking for new riders?" And they're like, "Yeah, you know, get in touch with us when you get here." And so then the next year, I joined the team. And so that year that they were in Montreal was just kind of like, you know, they traveled to a handful of races. And then in 2003 is when they did like a full-on international oh, wow. schedule. Yeah. So I was on that on that team then for three years. Isn't that crazy how side yeah. things like that? How yeah, just pure I hate pure coincidence. Yeah, total coincidence and. Like Ben, when he was working at the university there, he didn't need to speak Danish because they were all supposed to speak English. I couldn't get another job, and so it was just easy for me to fall right into yeah. the cycling thing. And, and like, what level were you? I mean, obviously, you're at the Montreal a, World Cup. Yeah, no, so it, was the, it was the pro, pro level. But what level. team were you on when you did the Montreal World Cup? Uh, so that year in 2002 was, well, I had done the Montreal World Cup several years, but that, that year was Talgo America, which was... Um, the year when Dee Dee came back out of retirement, she raced with us. She she won the Montreal World Cup that year, and then that's when T-Mobile was like, yep, yeah, thank you very much, we'll take her now. <laughs> but Susie Pride was on the team, Sue Palmer Komar was on the team, Anson Plinius was on the team for a little yeah, while. Yeah, it's a good team. Yeah, so, and it, it, the team didn't last long, but that was kind of like, it's one big year, and then I... What was your first pro team? I guess that team really okay yeah and so then from there I went to before that was just like local teams in California I rode rode for a a bike shop called the Santa Cruz spokesman Mm -hmm. before that was just teams from Madison and then um, Denmark it was team sats so the first year of that team I was the only non-Danish rider on the team the second year team we brought in Suzanne Lundskog who was world champion at the time yeah, Sweden. And uh, Anita Vallon, who is from Norway. Rochelle Gilmore yeah. from Australia. Um, basically, we started the season that year as the number one team in the world. Wow. And the UCI rankings. So it was huge. Um, were, you just, were, you, were you like laughing at just how quickly this happened? Yeah, or? pretty much. Um, but the guy who started the team is was an American who moved to Denmark for a Danish girlfriend, ended up getting <laughs> dumped, like we heard that story a lot, um, and but then stayed. Doesn't sound like a bitter guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, he decided to stay, uh, was working with a friend of his uh, who was a triathlete, but her strongest event was the bike, and so he's like, all right, we need to forget triathlons, get you a bike team. <laughs> so he was working 
at the fitness center, SATS, that yep. was the name of the fitness center, as an indoor cycling instructor. So he started handpicking women who were coming to his classes to be on the team. Whoa. So like one of my teammates, she used to be an ice hockey player. But she just was really good at these indoor spin classes. Yes, yeah, she had stopped playing hockey and would come to these you know spin classes and was just like super fit and just determined as hell, you know. She's and a just worked player. exactly. Yeah. Worked so hard. So Chris was like, I want you and I want you and I want you and you know, and then there there was a mix between women who'd really never been on a real bike before wow. and women who'd had some experience. So that's how the the whole team started. It's crazy he picked like riders who'd never been in a bunch and was just yeah. like, No, no Oh yeah. Not but, only am I gonna get you in a bike race, I'm putting you on a team and put you in races. With the best women in the world. I mean we that year that year we did the women's Tour de France, which was kind of, it was the last year that it was really called Le Grand Boucle, you know, okay. and then that's when, after that, they didn't have the, any, like, tour for what women year was for that? a couple years. That was 2003. So that year we started um, on the island of Corsica. Wow. We had two stages on Corsica and then went back over to, you know, to the mainland. And was it run by the ASO or... I don't know. At that time, I don't think it was. Um, I don't think it had been for a while because I, I think at one point it had the ASO had run both. Sure. Um, so I think it was a different organization. Um, but then after that, all oh, hell broke loose because that year, the profile of the stages would say it'd be flat, and there wouldn't be more than a group of five people finishing Fuck. together because it was so hilly. And so that Saturn was still around then, and Petra Rosner, and this one day I was in the lapping group with Petra and Ina, and they were just going off on the officials, because the officials were getting pissed at us, because we were so far off the back, yeah. and they were just like, you know, swearing at the officials, telling them that, you know, they're full of shit because of profile, we were supposed to be doing a flat stage, and yeah. it was anything but, and it was the year that the, uh, there was a heat wave going around Europe. So it was like 100 degrees. Yeah. And you know what it's like trying to find ice. Or it doesn't something. exist. Europe, no, it doesn't exist. And so unless you were a team that had your own RV and a little fridge, it was impossible to yeah. find ice. I remember going back to the car for a feed and getting handed hot water. I just threw <laughs> back in the car, you know. But yeah, so here's this team. First year racing for a lot of women. And we're doing the tour. We did the Giro. We did tour to load. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did Flesh Alone, we did Flanders, we did a lot of big races. Did you struggle at all, like, not getting the traditional 9 to 5 and going into this, like, bike racing at haphazardly, or was it just like, no, this is what I'm doing? No, this is, yeah, because I, before, the, when we lived in California, I had been racing quite a lot. I was also working on my master's degree in yeah. exercise science, and... I'd gotten into cycling enough that I was really procrastinating getting my master's thesis done. I defended my thesis the day before we left for Denmark. Come on. <laughs> because I was just like, no, I just, I, I really was having a lot of fun racing. And I was working as a personal trainer a little bit too. Um, but yeah, so I had been racing for about five years or so at that point, you know, before going over to, to Denmark. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. Yeah. But it was tough too, because, you know, I had teammates who had no clue what bike racing was about. <laughs> and we spent, I don't know, probably in the winter, at least 80% of our time training 
in the indoor cycling classes? Yeah, of course. Because, partly because the fitness center was our title sponsor. Yeah. So they wanted us to see in the classes and also because, you know, our team manager and director was the guy running the classes. Sure. And so we'd go in these classes and there'd be like, you know, 20 people on a wait list to get into these classes. They were that hard and that sought after. But we would do two or three classes back to back. So, so we'd be, be in like there. three hours. Oh, yeah. And he'd get in our faces and be looking at our heart rate and be screaming at us to go harder. And he, he by this point, he was fluent in Danish. And so he was <laughs> running the classes in Danish. And I only kind of could pick up a little bit of what he was saying. Sure. So I got off the hook sometimes. Sure, sure, <laughs> but sure. otherwise, man, he, he played hardball. That's for sure. Were you in contact with the national team at all during this? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's kind of when I started to get into contact with the national team because they, you know, just being an American at some of these races that they were at, that's, that's when I started to get to know Jim Miller and yeah, um, and some of the, even some other American riders who I didn't necessarily know in the States, but, you know, you kind of find your little group of English speakers when you're racing in Europe. You oh, find yeah. your comfort over there, right? So that's, yeah, where I started to get to know other female, you know, women cyclists yeah. was over in Europe and... Um, and then I guess when I was done with that, uh, then I came back to, so that was three years, and then I came back to racing in the States with Lipton. Yeah. But I was living, at this point then, we were living in New Zealand. So. <laughs> you make travel easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when I lived in New Zealand, I was only there for maybe six months out of the year, because in the other, in the other six months, I was... I was racing. So, yeah, so the two years I raced on the team in Denmark, I lived in Denmark, and then the next two years, or the next year, I was living in New Zealand, but had gone back to the Danish team and was based out of France with Kathy Marsal. Yeah, Do you of remember? Yeah. yeah. So she was our director the third year. Yeah. And she had just retired from cycling, so she was our director. And um, Sarah Ulmer did a few races with us. Is, it, is this for... And Rachel Heal was my teammate that year. Really? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. Is this for... Is it, was this for Lipton or for the Danish team? No, so, sorry. This was for the Danish, the Danish team. Okay. Stats. That's so really that was cool three that years. you got like, these people so early in your career to... Yeah. I mean, especially somebody like Catherine Marceau. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty cool um, racing with her. And I lived at her parents' farm. And and outside of Mets, yeah, they're out, they're in like Normandy, right? No, they're they're in Mets, but outside of the town. Okay. And um, so there wasn't really a whole lot going on. No. Her parents didn't speak English. Yeah. I didn't speak French. You know, a couple of teammates would, were there with me, but uh, there was a lot of sign language, a lot of dictionaries getting sure. passed around. Um, that was an interesting year, but um, great training and stuff around there. But yeah. It was tough at times. And then, you know, went back to New Zealand when the season was over for the New Zealand summer and we'd do a little racing in New Zealand. And then, uh, and then in 06, joined Lipton. So 06 and 07. That was like the Beeman run mm-hmm. yep. thing? Yep. How was that? That, like, that was awesome. Was that it? Was, was it great. Super- I mean, Kristen Armstrong was on the team, Corey Seehofer, Laura Kreps, Laura Van Gilder was on the team. Who was the team director of that? Uh, a German guy, um, Thomas Lisa. I don't know him. Yeah, he had been a rider um, himself and you know, on the track and the road. And God, I don't remember now exactly how they found him. Yeah. How Ed found him. It's just how bike racing works. Yeah. But yeah, and he was great. And so between on Lipton, then 
you know, I did a, started doing a combination of trips to Europe. We did a couple with Lipton and then also a couple with, yeah, I did some with the National Were you pretty Team comfortable team. in bike racing by that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Was it nice to be based out of the States again? Yeah, um, except that in 06, uh, I still was living in New Zealand, but just, you know, based here. But sure, it was a lot easier. Yeah. And then finally in 07 is when we left New Zealand and we moved to Fort Collins. And so then well, I was just But before 07, like with so much traveling, did you get homesick at all? Or were you just totally... Some people get homesick, like I would get homesick after a while. Uh -huh. But some people just love being out. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it, I had a pretty easy time with it, you know? Yeah. Um, even now, I still like to travel, but I, I don't necessarily want to be on the road as much as I yeah. you know, have been, which is part of why I decided to retire from road racing, but... Yeah, what, like, what... When did you make that decision? Well, you know, it's funny. I think it kind of had been a few years coming. Um, so even after, like, the during the 09 season, kind of had been toying with the idea of retirement, and then I won nationals. I was like, well, road nationals. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I can't retire now. Came that back would be a pretty sweet way to go out. <laughs> it would be like, all right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but then in 2010, came back and, and had a really good season. So I was like, okay, still can't retire, <laughs> you know, in 2011, 2012. And then it just sort of became like, oh my gosh, I've been in this sport for so long. How do I leave? This is where my my family you it know, really is, is yeah. and all my friends. And what am I going to do? That's that's the next question. Yeah. When you've been a bike racer for so long and you've had this lifestyle of like, uh, you know, you get up whenever you want in the morning and you're like, well, I can wait another hour until it warms up. Life. Oh yeah, it's, for sure. I I, I it took me a long time to get to terms with because you whenever you're racing, you're on the road and. It's always like the cliche inside joke to say something like, oh, can't wait to not be around bike racers, you know, bike yeah. racers, whatever. Yeah. But then you get home and like after a couple of weeks, you start to realize that like, oh, well, 90% of my friends are bike racers right. and I kind of miss. Right. Yeah. Like I came over here with Ian and Sean and then yeah. you see like, I don't have that rapport with just those two guys. Yeah. Then... I mean, I maybe had a report with like three people in my hometown. Yeah. Nobody right. else. Right. So it's. I know. And those people, those those three people at home have jobs. Right. So I can't come. I come home from a race <laughs> on Monday late at night. I can't yeah. call them up. Right. And say like. Right. What's going on? Right. Right. No, it's it's definitely kind of a, a catch twenty two though because you have these great friends that you know you meet and you train with and stuff and then but then outside of cycling I'm like. But I don't really have any other friends that yeah. don't ride because I always have to say, oh, no, I can't do that because, well, I've got a hard training day tomorrow. So, you know, I got right, to right, early. Right. <laughs> no, it was a big relief for me, like, yeah. when I retired was that, oh, the realization, like, oh, this doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Of the, like, oh, it's getting late. And then you realize, like, oh, I don't care. Right. Or, right. oh, okay, yeah. like, I'm only going to have one drink. And then you're at three and you're like oh whatever well it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. right exactly no I'm, I'm looking forward to but you're still gonna race cross or it all depends i don't know i really don't i i would like to just keep racing cross i mean honestly with road i was like okay i'm kind of over this i'm i just turned 40 uh -huh. um been racing bikes for 15 years so it's just like yeah i've gotten what i want out of this you know whereas with cross this is my sixth 
season right now. So, I and I feel like I still have a lot to learn in yeah. the sport, and I feel like I could keep getting better. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't necessarily want to give it up, but it really depends on what job I get next, and you know what kind of time it allows. I mean, I'm sure I can probably still do it at the local level. So whether or not I do it at the national level, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I got to find a job first. <laughs> it, uh, well, luckily the job market's flooded right now. There's not. Oh a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you? Is there something that you're kind of you know that you in a direction or? No, and that's why I think I kept racing <laughs> as long <laughs> as I did because I don't have that answer. Everybody's like, so what do you want to do next? Um, I don't really I'm know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have a master's degree in exercise science, but I don't, you know, I don't know what, if I were to use that, I'm not exactly sure how I'd use it. Um, you know, I've thought about sitting down with Alan Lim and picking his brain a little bit, either that or just going into something completely different. Because, you know, as a, as a cyclist, you learn a lot about how to market yourself. Yeah. And, you know, so a lot of people tell me that I have, <laughs> I have a lot more skill in other areas than I think I do. And that's just me having a lack of confidence in myself to realize that, you know, but, um, yeah, I think there are a lot of other things I could do in, you know, media or marketing or, you know, something, but it's just getting my foot in the door, first of all, and, yeah. have, and meeting somebody who has, who believes in me to kind of teach me how to do something new. Yeah. It, yeah. You feel like the, the way to go, like it's. I don't know why I feel this way, but like you always feel like, oh, okay, the next thing I should do should not relate to bike racing. I should do <laughs> right. something. But then I don't know if we perceive it as like being embarrassing that you're still hanging around bike racing or you're not racing. But like <laughs> the fact is, is like you know more about bike racing than most people. Exactly. So it's like it would be kind of silly to not use it. Right. And I don't hate bike racing. Right. I still really like it, but you have to be honest when you stop giving a fuck. Sure, sure. And like, yeah. I wasn't exactly honest to myself for the last couple of years. Yeah. I thought I cared right. about my results, but yeah. then I realized that like, you know, when I wasn't making front groups and climbs anymore, it didn't really affect me. <laughs> it didn't really matter. And then you're yeah. kind of like, oh, there, you know, when I was younger, when I was like 20, 21, I didn't make a front group and climb. Like I couldn't sleep. It would eat at me and I would just right. like, right. but now you're just like, mm. Yeah. See, I'm that way with cross still. Yeah. But with road, but with road, you know, for me, it was never about my own results anyway. Yeah. The year that I won nationals, that was sort of a, I don't want to say a fluke, but I was, certainly was not tagged as the one to what win nationals. What happened the that year day. that you won nationals? Um, so that year of nationals was my first, yeah, my, uh, was it the first year in Tokyo or second year? Um, no, second year. And I mean, we had a stellar squad. And we had just a lot of all-around riders, and that was the year that Nationals was in Bend on the um, circuit race that, that circuit race course. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and we had just finished Cascade, so they were both back to back, and uh, and that that course was was good for a lot of the riders on the team on Tuco yeah. that year. And so we just were kind of like, all right, you know, we're just going to play for a break and ride for a break. And there had been several breaks that day, and I just ended up being the one to get in the last break of the day. And then on one of the very last risers before you drop down to the roundabout to head back towards the snow, yeah. um, I attacked over that and put my head down. And so whatever for the last couple K, um, 
held him off and came in yeah. solo. So, yeah, it was like, holy shit, what <laughs> did I just do? Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it definitely it must took be a while. Cool feeling. I get to put on that jersey so oh, yeah. many times. Yeah, but you know what sucked that year was that that was the last road race. So I didn't even get to wear a, really? a jersey in the U.S. that year. Sorry, I take that back. That was um, that year. Charlotte, the Charlotte crit, uh -huh. was still in August, and that was the next race after nationals. So Thad asked me to actually to wear the the jersey in the crit, even though I won road nationals. Yeah. He wanted me to show it off. You, you would know, take like the front if you had to. Yeah. So um, so that was the only time that I got to wear the jersey in the U.S. that year. I went to Europe um, that year for because then I got to go to Worlds, and so I did some races over there and got to wear the Stars and Stripes jersey. But yeah, yeah. So I was it's, like, it's like, those, what? it's like those guys who uh, <laughs> win like under twenty three Worlds or Junior Worlds. Yeah. And then they oh, and then they cat yeah. yeah. And then and then like, well, they, I don't. Yeah. I, I can't wear this. this or, yeah, that or then they you know move up to the to the elites or something and yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You never get to show it off, but what, yeah. What do you? Uh, what, how do you see the cross nationals playing out coming up? Well, it's looking like it's going to be dry. I have only seen the course uh, kind of from the sidelines. Like when I went out there earlier this week, um, the course was closed. Yeah, they had to close the course because some of the courses the wrong way on some of the, on some of the one way sections and then also it crosses over a lot of the other trails that were still open so it was just a disaster you know like it, it was they were just asking for somebody to get yeah. hurt so they had to close it down um so i went out there with pete weber a few days ago uh -huh. who designed the course sure and he walked us around and um you know we were able to ride a couple of the sections but most of it you know he was just explaining what was going to happen and stuff so have not actually fully ridden it yet but it looks like it's going to be dry so i think it's going to be I think it's going to be fast. By the time this comes out, national already been done. Right, right. So you have to do you have to do crystal ball. Yeah. You have to do crystal ball podium. Right. Well. Give me the podium. Man, I hate doing. Pro I hate Don't doing predictions. You're not going to look hey, completely stupid. <laughs> right. Of course not. Well, I mean, come on. Okay. Katie Compton is obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Unless she has a mechanical or something goes really wrong, she's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mariana's only beaten her once yeah. so far this she season. She has a leg issue. Have you tried punching her in the leg? I When I was listening to your podcast with her the other day, I was tuning in extra careful to that part. Yeah. Now, what Is there any triggers? Exactly. Triggers? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe I take her pain meds away. Is <laughs> cayenne pepper cayenne pepper's a trigger? Just hitting her in the face with a <laughs> yeah. fistful of it. Yeah. Um, Have you thought about getting in the mountain biking at all? Actually, yeah. I I'm not letting really... off the Nationals podium. I'm just giving you more time to think <laughs> okay, about okay, it. Okay, okay, um, I did, I did some mountain uh, bike races last year, and I had a, a lot of fun. I even went to Nationals. Wait, did I go to Nationals last I'm still talking about last year as it's 2014, but I'm talking about last year as being 2012, I get yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So 2012, I did a handful of mountain bike races and had a lot of fun. Went to nationals, uh, was top ten in the cross country race, and was fifth in short track. What's the women's mountain bike scene like? It's pretty cool. It's a Is lot it? of fun, and I've gotten through since a lot of them also do cross, and since a lot of them also are from Colorado, I. I Gotten to know them, yeah. and so when I show up on the start line, they're like, "Yeah, Rody, all right." <laughs> so 
So we have a good time. I, I really enjoy the scene a lot. You know, it's just, it's very different than Road, for sure. Yeah. Probably a lot, probably more similar to Cross. Because you carry, like, so you carry that Road Fitness mm-hmm. into Cross. Mm-hmm. Like, Tim Johnson, the year he retired from Road, but still did Cross. His yeah. first year on Cross, he, like, had a hard time. Yeah. He was always a step off because yeah. he was, maybe he took for granted that consistent, yes. you know. I think road racing and mountain bike racing together are an awesome way to prepare for cross. I mean, for yeah. me anyway, because from the road you get the speed, and then from the mountain bike I I need the technical part of it. Yeah. So it doesn't come know, in I, naturally to you. Yeah, it's certainly not something. I didn't grow up mountain biking. I didn't start mountain biking until you know really mountain biking until you know really probably until I moved to Colorado. Yeah. You know, some on some of the more technical stuff. When I lived in California, we'd go up to Tahoe and mountain bike up there, and I always. I always laugh because I, I'd like to go back now and do the trail, you know, the rides that I was doing then and see if they're still hard, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, I'm sure I'd probably just laugh I've, at myself. I've gone back to places where I was a junior in road yeah. and rode up hills that I was like, I remember thinking, like, I, can't, I have to get over this hill. Yeah. And yeah. then you ride it now and you're vigoring it. And you just kind of check <laughs> on like, oh, yeah. I guess that's not. I know. I know. It's like. I couldn't ride over that rock before, and you know, but uh, so and I really enjoy mountain biking. I, I, you know, was training a fair bit on my mountain bike this summer too, just as something different anyway. Yeah, some different know? stimulus. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I still crash a lot, <laughs> but but I enjoy it. And I, so I think between the two, for me anyway, it's it's a great way to. Did you ride for Tipco this year? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I was with Tipco for five years. Okay. Yeah. How are they with you, like, retiring? Are they a little... Uh, or you run your course there? Or? Yeah, kind of. I mean, last year for me was a bit difficult. Um, yeah, I, I didn't... Sometimes you can stay too long. Yeah, but I don't... So in the five years that I was on the team, we had five different directors. Oh, okay. So it's a completely different team every time. And... Uh, this past season was difficult in some ways. Yeah, a European director. Yeah. It's and, hard with European. Sometimes. And I, I, we didn't always see eye to eye, and so I yeah. actually didn't get to race. I, I, would, I didn't race a whole lot. Yeah. And uh, there were, like, I didn't even get to go to road nationals. How do you not do? Yeah. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Yeah, so I, it was a tough season for me mentally sure. as well and emotionally. Well, yeah, knowing it, it, that it's I was a double probably kick because one, yeah. you're like you've been in it so long, you need some kind of creative stimulus to stay yeah. in the game, and then two, if you're just being pushed out anyway, yeah, it doesn't take all, doesn't take a whole lot for yeah. you to be pushed right. out. You're like, and it, and I don't think it was you know it wasn't Linda the team owner yeah who was necessarily pushing me out. She was just kind of letting the director make his decisions and. Yeah, she she hired him for a reason. She can't overstep it all the time. Right, even though she didn't necessarily agree with his totally. decision. Yeah. So it was there was a fine balance, you know. And then Jeff Pierce came in, and he was trying to help out as well, and uh, that didn't necessarily go as well as I think he had hoped it would. And yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I just think it was time. I mean, in, whether I retired or not, I definitely think I would have had to make it, you know, another move. Do you think if there were more women's teams out there, you maybe would stay in it longer? I could, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think 
that might have played a small part in why I decided to retire was because there weren't really a, a lot of other options. Um, and, you know, at that point in my career, I wasn't willing to just take anything, you know. Sure. And uh, for me, it was also a lot about who my teammates were yeah. and, and the experience. You know, it's like I kind of – I still had a passion for road racing, um, you know, and didn't – wasn't like, oh, I've got to keep going because I, I want to try to make the next Olympic Olympics or even Worlds. You know, for me, it was a lot about – just being on the bike and still having fun. and It is about the lifestyle. And totally, yeah. It's hard, though, because like there's, there's those moments in the bike race where uh, they're not... They're like these intangible moments where it's really make-or-break moments. Yeah. And I think unless you have like this real chip on your shoulder and this real need to succeed, uh-huh. that if you're just doing it for the lifestyle, at least for me, speaking yeah. for myself... Yeah. I, I would just pull over and yeah. wait for the Gruppetto or wait for the second right. group, right. you know? Like, yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I could do bike racing forever for the lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. It was for like sure. you were saying earlier. For like, sure, yeah. You wake up at 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. maybe on your bike by 10 or 10 <laughs> depending. And yeah, then, and in the middle of the winter, it might be more like noon, 1 o'clock. <laughs> I mean, we can't train the cold. We don't want to get <laughs> yeah, sick. Of course not. <laughs> yeah. You know how I found that I, I was ready to retire? One of the reasons. Besides my lack of results, was uh, I became so insanely good at procrastinating training. Oh, like yeah. I would find I stuff around the that. house that needed to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, well, obviously the house needs to be painted today. Right, right. The whole house. I mean, I can't train before <laughs> I paint this house. And it's going to take me a couple weeks, of course. You know, <sighs> I'd love to get out there and do four thousand kilojoules, but I really need to get this house. <laughs> and then by like. Three o'clock, you're like, well, I'll get might as well just keep going painting I mean, the house because it's no you use. Know, I'm, I, yeah, why would I go train now? I mean, God, this darn house. <laughs> That's exactly. I uh, I definitely feel that way for sure. And during the summer, nice days, no problem. Sure. Mostly, you know, but on uh, the- I had a day once where I literally thought it's too nice of a day to spend on my bike. <laughs> I really thought, I was like, this is so That nice. is definitely a sign of, yeah. of retirement, for sure. It is so nice out. Can I imagine suffering in this? Are you crazy? <laughs> this weather's not yeah. made for suffering. This right. weather's made for enjoyment. Right. It's like a beach day or a mountain day or oh, something, you know? It's lovely. This is a red flag tour of California, too. And I remember it was like... Oh, then that's definitely a red flag. So what was your last race of the year, then? Nature Valley. Oh, okay. Whew. Nature Valley, uh, I didn't do... Trying to make most people <laughs> retire, right? Oh, yeah. Race, this is crick, crick, crick. I have a love-hate relationship with that race, but yeah. Yeah, same. No, I, I've finished top 10 overall in the race. I've, right. I've right. gotten top 5 in time. I'm, I like <laughs> racing, but yeah. it, I like the late starts. It's fun when you, know, like, you wake up and there's not a race till 7, and you're just like, this is great, man. I'm just hanging out and like... Fuck it, this is brilliant. Right, exactly. Um, and then you come home at 11 o'clock at night and you can't go to bed until 1, so you're like, thank God. Oh, we yeah, don't I guess that's not the right side. But, you're right. Uh, no, I just, my my back has been getting worse and worse, and then yeah. I just got tired of fighting it. And then, yeah. It was like, a, it made it, it was easier because the team had such a good year. Yeah. And I wasn't a part of it. Yeah. So it made it easier to be like, at one hand, it was great to that the team didn't need me. 
Uh-huh. So you're like, okay, I'm not letting anybody down. Right, right. This is good. Yeah. But at the same time, you're like, well, it'd be, kind of, it'd be nice to be a little bit needed. No, of course. <laughs> I know I know that feeling for sure. So you get it's messages like, from, like, Kando or yeah. whoever. Because, like, I can climb front group most things, but, like, I'm really handy in the sprint, too. Yeah. Like, so it was it was nice when you get those messages of, like, oh, man, I really could have used you in the lead-out stage. But... You know, they don't come as much as you want. No, definitely not. I know. I know exactly what you mean because there were those... Like, I didn't get to do Nature Valley either. And um, my team ended up... Tipco ended up winning on the last stage. uh, uh, um, Jade crashed on that last corner. And then Shelly won and took the overall. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I was like... Jade. Yeah. yeah, that was brutal. Um, but, you know, so I was excited for my teammates, but at the same time, I was like, but I don't really feel I mean, like you guys probably would have won, you guys probably would have won a lot more with me. I know, I, I know. Probably, probably not to rely on that you crash. You won every stage if I'd been there now. Right? And, yeah. Yeah. I think at a certain point, you start loving, you You have enough respect for bike racing and not do it completely half-ass. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And again, for me, I, that's what I was starting to say earlier. I was like, I never, rarely ever was the rider trying to get my own results. Yeah. I was always the support rider helping everybody else. And so that's why I also think it was easier for me to keep going because my, you know, my retirement wasn't dependent upon my results ever. Anyway, it wasn't like, oh, well, I won this race last year and now this year I was off the back, you know. Yeah. I, like, I was off the back at a lot of races because I'd done my job early and just got to roll it in yeah. with the laughing group, you know. and. So that's why it was kind of hard for me to judge, am I done or am I not? You yeah. know, because my results today are the same as they were five years ago. What do you think? What do you th- I, because I, I, you know, I, I'm an egomaniac, so I think about it a lot, but <laughs> I was thinking, what do you think your, like, uh happiest best moment best results i mean source and cross but like what do you think is like the one thing that you're most proud of nationals winning road nationals for sure um god there's i never won road nationals so i have to think a lot harder right (laughs) but well then that's when i'm like um hmm what else (laughs) i was just gonna say after that it's probably more teammates wins that i was a part of yeah you know um a lot of wins with Kristen Armstrong on, on Lipton and you know even this past year with Tipco like we uh, at Elk Grove we had to come from behind to take the overall with Shelly and so that last day um, you know it was pretty exciting when it's coming down to just a couple seconds sure and you helped the team win and so there are a lot of moments like that over my career that you know between racing in the US and Europe that were pretty pretty exciting and then on the cross side um i think the first year that i got to go to the world championships it was my second year racing cross and um, the world championships were in tabor and the course was a sheet of ice it was just like one big ice rink and i was scared to death sure like during pre-rides and everything i was like what am i gonna do how am i gonna they're going to melt this, right? Yeah. And, and, and actually that year they were talking about trying to get the UCI to allow um, studded tires. 
And then you saw it, it was like, no way, you know, and I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then I went out and I, I raced really well. I just kind of forgot about all my fears. And then I, I ended up 12th, which yeah. for my first year at Worlds and yeah. on a course like that, I it's was a solid pretty, result. I was pretty stoked with, you know? Yeah. So that's definitely, and, and the cool thing about that year was I got, I had been to Road Worlds. And then just a few months later, went to Crossworlds. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to get to do those yeah. you know, back-to-back like that. Um, but the thing with Cross is I have been able to race you know, more for myself um, because it's just kind of it's style not, There's racing. not a whole stop. There's not a whole lot of team time. There's a little no. bit. Yeah. Um, and like a little bit this year with my teammate Ellie, a couple times we've been there's able to be like a, in a little tactics. But there's not a whole lot of... Um, there's like a, a it's a, a bit polite polite blocking there's not like you can't just go up to the front and I don't see cross racers doing necessarily going to the front and like Jake breaking everybody or oh well not that blatant maybe but it's, it's certainly like, go up to the front and start soft pedaling right it's I mean, more polite it's yeah, like, yeah yeah I mean there's been time a couple times this year where Ellie and I have you know where she's She's had a great season, yeah. <laughs> so I, I often. I've um, never like, seen like the one in. One yeah, in, you were in Madison. The, Ma- Madison and she and, she won both of those races. And I remember seeing you like you know playfully jamming up the world. Yeah, a so bit. that one of those races, I was able to play a little bit of tactics, and then um, one of the races in Cincinnati, and I think maybe one of the days in Louisville. Where I was was able to block a little bit, and yeah. you know, after those races, you know, the other girls who were with me would be like, "Great, we saw you at the front. We knew exactly what you were doing." Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and yeah, um, but otherwise, it doesn't really happen too often in, in cross. You know, the Luna the Luna girls have had years where, like, when Katarina and Georgia um, were both like on form and. You know, and when Amy was racing with them too, I mean, they've had a few years where they've had three of, you know, three of the top five riders sure, out sure. there. And you're like, oh, great. Fuck. It's just going to be a Luna podium today. Awesome. <laughs> I like that you go in with a real positive attitude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have yeah. no chance. I know. All Fuck right. Well, it's like when Katie Compton shows up. All right, we're racing for second. Tell me, <laughs> you should try throwing chili powder in her face or something. <laughs> I missed that part of the podcast. Is that what she said? No, I'm just imagining that oh, that probably okay. wouldn't help. I didn't know if that was one of the things that she, you know, certain food or something that she said, maybe. Yeah. I just I just remember the painkillers. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I was like, wow. I don't know how you ate some painkillers not totally out of your brain. I know. I did a tour of bolts once and I crashed really, really bad. Yeah. And uh, just lost, like, all skin on my ass. Oh. And then started the next day on painkillers and I, I remember... Like a friend, we were going slow. We were yeah. going like maybe 20 miles an hour on yeah. open road. And I was like, I'm so blocked up, you can't go hard. Right. And I remember a friend coming and like talking to me and I just had to like, dude, I'm, you, I, you can't talk to me. Like, <laughs> later, I'm, later, catch me later. I'm trying to not be rude to you right now. <laughs> and I'm not because we're friends. Like, don't hold this. Later. Yeah. Let's do this later. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I made it like 20 more K I got in the car. <laughs> yeah. I know. I I have had I've had back issues too, and yeah. I've had um, this summer. I went. I did so much dry needling. Oh, dry yeah. needling. Have you ever done that before? I've heard about it. Holy shit! Yeah, it is 
painful. See, mine's, I, not, mine's not a pain, though. It's a hypermobility. Oh, so that okay. kind of stuff isn't really... Yeah, see, my, the right side of my back, if you can just stand behind me and see how much more raised my yeah. back is. And I have a little bit of scoliosis, too. Yeah. And so I've just had, you know, a lot of issues. And I think <laughs> I was good. I had some issues, like, in 09, and then figured out it was good for a while, and then couple well like a year and a half ago I had a pretty good fall on my mountain bike and that's when my back flared up again so yeah. I think it was you know from the crash but uh it just tightens up yeah. so bad during yeah. the races and if you know I just want to stand up and kind of stretch it out and everything but like during a cross race in 40 minutes you don't have time to do that no so I was doing dry needling and in my back I can tolerate it mostly uh, you know, I draw, I throw out the F bomb every now and then, you know, sure. of course. But then he went into my like upper hamstring, right behind or right below my glutes. Yeah. The most painful thing. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I was like, you are not going there again. <laughs> no. Oh my just, god. Yeah. Just point but, it there. No yeah. bad. And then he, my PT, he'll usually be playing like dubstep or Rage Against Machine or something. You know, when I go in there, and it's like, well, it's good because. So when this he's doing the dry needling, you're just like, he's just really? it's <laughs> so like, counterintuitive. Oh, I know you think he wants some like, and yeah, yeah, and yeah, exactly, or something yeah. like that to keep you calm. But no, it's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh, you know. Wow. <laughs> and I'm sweating. And, oh. Yeah, it's it's painful stuff. I did one of those active release therapies. A guy got in there really deep, and I was sweating so much on the table. And I think I got my point was like maybe at nine in the morning. Yeah. And I came back and I slept for two hours. <laughs> like, I was just so mad. It's yeah. Like, I think you're doing this just to fuck with me now. Oh, I don't think seriously. this is helping. I think it, I think it does help me. And, and I feel, I feel good afterwards. Yeah. Well, maybe like the next day. Cause the, you know, when I first walk out of there and I get in my car and then I drive home and I get out of my car, then I'm like, I feel like an old woman walking yeah. back into the house. You know, I'm so sore. It's like I've just gone out and run 10K for the first time in my life or something, sure. you know. But I do think it helps. Good. Are you part of the, um, isn't new like the WCA starting up? Are you? Yeah, I, yeah. I was, like when they first started, started up, I was trying to be as involved as I could and it was a little easier for me then because they were at the you know it was during the race yeah, season we had yeah. meetings um, yeah. at races and stuff but then once cross started I'm so kind of far out of the loop and a lot of you know a lot of them are in their off season so there were a couple meetings that um, you know Robin and uh, you know Allie and I don't know who all went but I just I couldn't go because I was traveling or something or you yeah. know still racing so I've kind of fallen out of the loop and, you know, depending on what happens next, you know, what, I've got one more month of cross racing left and yeah. then, you know, hopefully I can get a little bit more involved. Where do you, where do you think, what do you think would like a, a solution to help? Cause I mean, I mean, I, the, the now team went away. Yeah. Is there any teams coming in? UHC. UHC came in. Yeah. And I think. Is the, the. So I think Nicola is still going to have a team. Um, I haven't heard the official announcement yet, but I have talked to riders and to Nicola about um, this team. And, you know, she hasn't made the announcement yet about who the new sponsor will be, but yeah. it sounds like she's got something. So that's, so that's good. I think it might be a little bit less than what they had this year, but it'd still be an opportunity for women yeah. to go to races. So really you'll have them, Tibco, 
Optum and UHC as far as, well, as I say, it's kind of far as far as the proteins. And then, you know, and Vanderkitten, Vanderkitten and um, who else am I forgetting? You know, they, they still bring strong squads to the races too. Yeah. It's just, and women's cycling is really hard to differentiate between who are the professional teams and who aren't. Right. Because I guess I consider professional being the teams who pay riders. Pay riders, yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of teams that consider themselves professional, but it's more like they're getting their expenses and travel and all that kind of stuff. And sure. Excuse my ignorance, but is the is there a... There's not like a tier of women's professional, like men's no. they Well, there's the, you know, like TIPCO and now they're also UCI teams. Okay. But that doesn't really mean anything here in the U.S. It yeah, just right. means that... Well, you can you know, do UCI races. UCI races, yeah, over in Europe. Um, but other than that, no, everybody's yeah. domestic. What do you think is needed to help bring women's cycling back up? <clears throat> yeah, it's tough. There's so many different angles. Because um, honestly, I feel like women's cycling has kind of gone backwards. Uh, I did a conference call with some women a few months ago, and um, Karen Bliss was one of the women on, in the, on the phone call. and. And, you know, she was talking about how when she was racing, there was more prize money and more women and more media coverage and more TV then than there is now. Mm -hmm. And um, and salaries, I think the women were getting paid more. Mm -hmm. You know, and then there's it, it kind of fluctuates with the economy, too. You know, there was a few years uh, where women were getting paid really well, especially the women on T-Mobile from what I here, you know? <laughs> and um, but you know the economy was really strong then too. So everybody just wanted to throw money into cycling, and then I think with the you know the recession plus a lot of the you know doping that's been going on in cycling, it's hard to say which is the culprit. Sure. But you know there's certainly less money and I think support in in women cycling right now than there has been in the past. You know and yeah. and I think. With, with the doping stuff, you know, we're kind of already on the, the the bottom of the ladder, and so when that stuff starts to trickle down, as far as like, okay, the top teams aren't getting as much money as they used to, right? Then, it, you know, it keeps trickling down, and so those teams that, you know, are running off a three hundred thousand dollar budget are now running off a hundred thousand dollar budget. It's kind of hard yeah. to keep the sport going, you yeah. know, and and so that's one thing that Linda has done a fantastic job with with Tipco is I mean I think we're Tipco is by far the longest running team in women's cycling right now. So through the recession and everything, she was able to keep the sponsors happy, keep the sponsors on board, and you know keep them re-signing for multi-year contracts, and you know so that that was huge on her part to be able to do that when the other teams around us are folding. Yeah, and. Um, so, but it's unfortunate that there aren't that many teams. Yeah. So there's not a lot of places. So now, um, so when now folded, I know a few of those women found contracts, but I don't know that everybody was able to. Yeah, doubt it. And so I have no idea what they're doing. And um, is there like yeah. some single biggest? If you had the power to change one thing for women's cycling, like a like a. Whether it's more TV coverage, whether it's whatever, what do you think would be like the biggest help? Well, what I hear the most is probably the TV coverage. 
Yeah. You know, that's what the sponsors want. That that's where they think they're going to get, you know, the biggest ROI, you know. Yeah. And uh but it's hard for women to get that coverage because then you've got the people who say, well, women's cycling isn't that exciting to watch. And I know, I think you and Sean were just having this conversation about um, how women's teams sometimes try to race like men's teams. I don't remember this conversation. I thought, and he said you had some idea of um, of having oh, like... Oh, yeah, no. Maybe yeah. it was more cross than road. But. Yeah, well, yeah, so... Because for me, bike racing in general is not okay. Like it, it's hard for guys to say like because they make it sound like whenever I have an idea, it makes it sound like I'm dismissive or I know anything about women's racing. Uh huh. So like it, you're always like biting your tongue because you're like, well, right. I don't want somebody who actually <laughs> knows what the fuck they're talking about right. to think. Yeah. So I'll just go ahead and clarify that. Yeah. I'm an ignorant dummy, <laughs> but it seems to me. That bike racing in general is a uh -huh. niche sport. Uh-huh. Yeah. A.K.A. kind of boring. Right. Yeah, for sure. It can be definitely the long road races, you know. Criterium's right. So, like, I feel like with women's racing, like, with the less... Because, you know, like, uh, men's the men's race with the UCI, they have, like, so much governance. Like, yeah. with, you know, there's so many rules and... And, you know, like I know women want that. They want more participation from the yeah. UCI. But I think that they should use that lack of participation in UCI for, and like, as an advantage, just to create more exciting races, better formats, and then have the men come to you uh -huh. and say, like, oh, well, you know what I'm saying? Like, kick, kick the men in the obvious spot. Yeah. Of just saying, like, so, if it's like, oh, well... Two hundred K road races, while that is the tradition of the sport, uh huh. You can die on that sort of tradition if you want. Yeah. Or we can evolve and get people paid right. and get better things. Right. So I mean obviously we're not, you know, the X games, so yeah. there's only so far you could do it. But yeah. you know, uh double stages, uh evening stages, uh innovative formats, whether it's, you know, uh I mean, just, I mean, off the top of my head, it might be a dumb idea, but, like, now you have a team time trial, but then you split the teams up in two, so now it's four and four, mm -hmm. and then combine times of the team. Just, like, innovative yeah. right. stuff to keep right. things going. Yeah. And that might pull, because, like, right now, it's just, it's a dying model, and, like, yeah. you see women, the women racers, like, oh, well, we want to race the same day, Liege, whatever, mm -hmm. like, we want to Liege. Mm -hmm. Same day, get mm -hmm. the same coverage, mm -hmm. but then that happens, and then then the women don't get as much TV coverage because now they're showing the last eighty k the men's exactly. So it's like, well, no, let's not do it the same day. Let's do it the day before, right? Because now all the press is in town, right? Everybody's there. They have that. They always have those stupid fondos before. Why right. can't you start? Well, it's going to be interesting at Crossworlds this year. Yeah. The women are racing on Saturday. So in the past, it's always been the juniors and the U23s race on Saturday, and yeah. the men, elite men and women yeah. race on Sunday. Yeah. Well, this year, the juniors and the women are racing on Saturday, and the uh, U23s and the men are racing on Sunday, because the UCI is hoping to draw more spectators that way. Yeah. So we'll see if splitting the elites up... Cross, actually, yeah, yeah, no, I, that, that's good. It's a little different, because it's, yeah. people are going to come for the world anyway, but... 
like my thing would be how about this like okay so we're gonna throw a cross put on a cross race next year yeah um we'll do the men traditional format <coughs> yeah whatever an hour mm-hmm and then, you know, the same three guys can battle for the win. Yeah. Everybody pretends, like, who's going to win. <laughs> right. You know, go fuck right. yourself. There's only three guys. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> it, it annoys me to no end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the women's race, let's host, like, in motocross format. We'll do three heats. Mm-hmm. Top ten. And there'll be, there'll be uh, ten-minute heats, 15-minute heats. Top ten from each heat go. Because that's what people like about cross. They like yeah. the whole shots. They yeah. like the tight racing. Yeah. They like this. So then you have qualifiers, and then you have a final, and you put more money into it. You put. It's interesting. I, I, I think really I think I think people would be excited the the sh- the prospect of seeing three quick races, three starts, three finishes, mm-hmm. and then a final. Yeah. And I obviously racers are going to hate it because it's so much more stress. Right. You're warming up, you're warming right. down. Well, isn't that kind of like what they do in the, is it four cross with my yeah, bike? exactly. But but on the four cross, they're up the mountain, they, they zoom right by you. And no, wait, is it, no, is it four cross? Super D or whatever. It's the new thing that they added right. this last year. And it's not, not all of the, not all of the riders do it. It's only a handful of them. Right. Like, like I know what you're talking about, but I can't think but of it. But they do the heats. Yeah. And all of that, and it's and it's like a maybe, but it's only like maybe a five minute course or something like that. Right, I so think super short, but I think you want tight, short, fast racing. Yeah, on dirt would be right. incredible. So then, would you have a full length race for the final? Or uh, would that be short maybe time? like a maybe a thirty minute final, twenty five minute yeah. final, whatever. Yeah, but. And the people, the problem is, is when you want to change something so dramatically, yeah. the people at the top are going to complain because they're already winning. Right, right. Of they're course. already winning. So, yeah. like, if if I brought this idea to Jeremy Powers or Tim Johnson or whatever, they're going to like scoff because it's right. so much more. Why, Why would, would they you... want it change? Right. It's like you know what? Go fuck yourself. Like nobody yeah. really cares about yeah. this. If you want to get yeah. like, if you want to keep the pond small uh-huh. and win at the small pond, whatever. But uh-huh. if we're I'm fine if everybody wants to keep a small pond. Yeah. But if you keep complaining that the pond is small, right. and then you just shoot down ideas, right? Because you can't. It's always so annoying to me that people like the greatest myth is that cyclocross racing is the most exciting shit ever. And <laughs> I tell you what, the last ten minutes, yeah, or the first ten minutes, pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, sometimes the last yeah. ten minutes are exciting. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Generally, after that, it's pretty much a bike race. And yeah. it's really fun to do. It's a participatory do you, sport. Do you think that European racing and U.S. racing is different as far as spectators, or as far as watching the race? Road racing? No, cross. Cross? Uh, you know, I don't... I, Have you watched much I watch highlights and stuff. Yeah. I mean, they seem like uh, the talent level's higher. Yeah. So then they're a little bit more bunched up. Yeah. But... Well, so I ask because I, I just recently wrote an article... I'm in ba- I am an ambassador for Light in Motion, uh-huh. and I just wrote an article uh, for them about the differences between U.S. and European racing, and then also next week, I'm going to go to the Race Director Summit meeting here in Boulder, and hopefully have bring some ideas to the table about ways to improve, well, because they, they've approached me about how can they make the events better for, and help to prepare U.S. athletes for World Cups and World Championship type events. And I think everybody agrees that the races in Europe are harder. 
mm-hmm. and they're more epic, and there's a lot of reasons why. Um, so I think that I think that watching races in Europe is pretty incredible. It's also because the talent there's. I think the fields are deeper, um, and so. Do you think that the reason the courses in the U.S. aren't that hard is because they do want the like the Hammenager, Cat Four, and Five guys to come out? Well, that's part of it because they are definitely the. They don't want a liability. Well, and that's another thing that I've said. So I think one that promoters, race directors here, promoters here have a much more difficult time securing land. So when you look at the courses in Europe compared to the courses or the the venues in Europe compared to here. The venues in Europe are like 10 times the size of what the venues, the space, the actual space that promoters get to use here in the U.S. So, for example, we were talking to Pete Weber a few days ago about uh, the courses that we've had out at the Boulder Reservoir. And he's like, we were like, well, what about this part that's over by the boathouse? And he's like, well, we can't use it. Or, you know, because the... the, um, People here are more concerned about the environmental sure, impact sure. on the land. And so the really cool feature that you want to use that's got yeah. this really steep drop-in or something, they're like, no, too much erosion. You know, or it's, or it'd be too expensive to come back and fix it after the race. Yep. You know, and so or maybe it, they'd be okay with it if it's dry, but if it rains and it's muddy or if it's snowing, forget it. And yeah. then you know that happens, and then you're out of the course for the day, and yeah. everybody's screwed. So I think that's part of it is that you just have more space in yeah. Europe, and so what tends to happen with courses here is you have to make for for it to be a UCI race. I, I don't know. The actual distance, but it has, I think it has to be like two and a half k long at mm-hmm. least, mm-hmm. two or two and a half k long. Yeah. And so, in order to make that happen in a small amount of space, you have to do a lot of turning, yeah. a lot yeah. of 180s and that yeah. kind of stuff. And to me, that's not as exciting or that's, as challenging. Yeah. So why not do UCI race Sunday, Saturday, whatever, mm-hmm. and then the next day you. You make your own course, right? In your own so, format, right? So that's the other thing too is that in Europe, at least when I go, the races I'm doing in Europe, um, the World Cups or like this, the C1 races, those are only for the elite riders. Um, sometimes, well, the elite riders, the U23s and the juniors. So there's no really young juniors and there's no masters or amateur racers out there. So they don't have to worry about making a course or building a course that everybody from 9 years old to 60 year old, 60 right. years old they don't have to worry about a, a junior busting right. his face. Exactly. So it's like even with you know nationals this next weekend that's really challenging to find a course to build a course that's going to be hard enough in a park for the elites yeah in a park that it's not going to come down to a road race and a sprint finish between you know 10 people on the you know at the finish um maybe in the women and the men it's always the same three yeah days. yeah exactly well in the women it's always katie and then the rest of it is <laughs> the rest of the race is so yeah so you know i wish that there was a way where maybe you know one like the only the elites race on well i think that's already how it is but you know how you have one group of of all the different categories racing together and then when they're done you can go out and make some course changes and then make it a little bit harder for the kind of the next group of riders you know and then all the way up until sunday when the elites are going and the course is like completely different than what it was earlier in the week you know and it's harder it's got you know more features added and um i also feel like it's kind of um maybe a liability thing like some of the stuff that we do in europe 
holy shit. Yeah, yeah. You get people standing at the top of this drop-in shaking because they're scared. Yeah. You know, and so they stand there and they watch like 20 people go through before you finally get the nerve to do it yourself. Sure. I mean, I remember the first year, well, not the first year, but one, my first year racing the Zolder World Cup. There's this wicked steep drop-in, and uh, it was icy. <laughs> and I was like, hell no, I'm not riding down yeah, that, yeah. you know? And I ended up running down it in the race, and I can't imagine that most promoters in the U.S. would Go want to do that. Yeah. And again, it's because of all the different age yeah. groups on the course. Yeah. But even for elites, I'm afraid, I think that they're afraid that they would get sued if somebody got hurt. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm just... Totally. You know, generalizing. Seems generalizing. like most things come out of litigation. Yeah, I think that's the kind of country that we live in. Everybody, you God know. Bless it. Yeah, right. So, so there's, um, you know, there's quite a few reasons why I think the racing in Europe is is harder, uh, and some of it is, and some of it comes down to money too. Like we're missing a big series, you know, with the loss of the USGP, we are missing a series um, where you have the same staff going from venue to venue, designing the courses, and really bringing a lot of professionalism to it, and um, and and attract, being able to attract bigger sponsors and more money, because I don't think you're going to get a big sponsor who wants to put a lot of money into just a one-off, one-weekend event. Right. You know, I think they'd rather see it spread out over a few months. Maybe, yeah. You know, yeah. And, that, and that's what they do in Europe. Like, Hans Groey is one of the major sponsors of, I think, the Super Prestige, or World Cups, or I forget what. You know, and I'm sure that they're putting a lot of money into that event. I mean, come on, when someone like Sven Ace is getting at least 8,000 8, 8, euros to even start a race, right. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's money behind it, you know? So, Do they still charge yeah. people to come watch the cross race? I think it's just Worlds. Just Worlds? I think it's only Worlds, yeah. yeah, that you have to pay for. Huh. Yeah. Uh, oh, maybe the World Cups as well. Maybe a couple others. Yeah, see, I don't even know because yeah. <laughs> I'm not one of the, I already have my wristband. I think, you know, is, you know. I think it's obvious like cycling could use you after not even racing, to, at least with ideas and yeah. trying to make it better. I yeah. Mean, you want to make it better. No, know? I totally do. Yeah. I totally do. And so we'll see. Jeremy Powers went to this race director's meeting a couple of years ago with PowerPoint presentation and everything. Jesus and so, Christ. so I'm, trying, I'm like, Jeremy, <laughs> like, Jeremy, can you share that PowerPoint presentation with me? Cause I want to know what, what yeah. he had to say. And I don't, cause I don't necessarily want to repeat everything that the promoters have already heard before, right, right. you know, but, um, I know some of the things that I'm saying, they're like, we've tried that 10,000 times already and nobody wants to give up their property, you know, so maybe it's a more of an, uh, issue of trying to get private property instead of public property. Who knows? But, right. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I see what you're saying about cross racing not necessarily being exciting through the whole. I just race, think bike but, racing in general yeah. is not exciting through it. So I just use cross because it'd be the easiest one to change the format. Uh huh. But uh, yeah, I think if cycling wants to get mainstream popular, they have to figure out a way to make it more exciting. Yeah. And well, how do you think? Why in Europe? Do you get people who will sit down in front of the TV and watch every minute of a stage? And See, I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't, don't think, think people. So? I think it's kind of a, a myth that people will watch it from start to finish. Yeah. I mean. Or why do you get millions of people on the side of the road? 
Well, because it just is like, because I mean, it happens a little bit in California and Utah and stuff yeah, too, but sure. it's just because it's in the summer. Yeah. People are hanging out. It's a weekend thing. You take your family, whatever. Yeah. It's more yeah. of a, I don't know how those people are genuine cycling fans as much as they are just like, oh, they're, they're for a day out. Right. See, I think it's, well, for cross racing, and I think that the fans, the spectators who come out to the races. Yeah. Are genuine well, yeah, because not all people happen upon the cross race, right? Very, very strange. true. But, yeah, so but, it's much different than the tour. I mean, okay, like course. you get on Optuez or whatever, packed out. People yeah. that want to be on Optuez are on Optuez. Yeah, but what they also don't necessarily say is, you know, when you see the pack racing through the the country and there's ro- there's cars lining the side of the road uh-huh. and people cheering, those people were probably driving somewhere. And you then think? they, yeah, and they, they have a rolling caravan, and cars aren't allowed to move for an hour. No, so I, yeah, I, I think that people have it planned, and they know they've got to get out there two day, two days I in don't advance to start setting up. I, I, I believe those people are there, but I think when you see the constant stream of fans, I think a lot of those people are stopped in traffic. I, I see it when I'm racing. I see these people like. Well, fuck it. I'm not moving for an hour. I might as well get out of my car. In the U.S., maybe. Maybe. But I, th- I definitely think it's more planned in Europe for the t- during the tour. I hope so. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe but, I'm too you know, bad. but the one of the things I said in this article too about the difference between U.S. and European racing is that the culture of cycling in Europe has a very long history. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the tour started in 1903. Yeah. This, and I was just looking up different stats and stuff. Like, the Super Bowl was not an event until 1960. I mean, granted, NFL had been around a long time, but sure. the Super Bowl, I think I read, is the most watched sporting event in the One US. day sporting event, yeah. And that started in 1960. So, you know, it's, it, you just, I mean, obviously football is probably the biggest you know, sport in the U.S. and um, but we we just don't have that kind of enthusiasm for cycling here. Yeah, you know? and so I think I think people are still trying to grasp what is cycling, and they can tell you about the or they tell you that sure. they know what the tour is, but they can't really explain. Well, like I, you can watch football, and I can I can see a guy, I can see you know uh, Peyton Manning throw a ball. Mm-hmm. And I can tell whether or not that guy caught it. Yeah. So I right. can make an immediate judgment of what yeah. I just saw. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that guy's either good or he's bad. Whereas right. when you just see a bunch of guys, unless you've raced, right? And there's small things to look for. There's a lot of nuance in oh, bike. Oh, for sure. Like my favorite thing is when they show the pack in the in the hills. Yeah. And they show the overhead shot. Yeah. Because just from looking at the overhead shot. I can see who's suffering by yeah. the distance between the wheels. Oh, yeah. And the distance between the guy's shoulders. Yeah. If these guys are riding close together, both guys probably move. But if one guy's catty corner or whatever, you're yeah. like, well, if that guy could move up, he would. Right. Exactly. And so, like, that's what I'm... But, I mean, fuck, some guys... I doubt most bike ride riders even know that. And right. so take a guy who doesn't know... They just see a bunch of yeah. dudes riding uphill. <laughs> right. Or, you know, why are, you know, all eight guys lined up on the front of the race and... Why are people passing? You know, yeah. Or in, just passing. And why are they excited when the other guy, you know, their teammate won? Yeah. They don't understand that it, how much of a team effort goes into it or... Yeah. It's how, how do we make bike racing more exciting without making it the X Games? 
Because, exactly. I mean, if we wanted exciting yeah. things, you know, we'll just do jackass. We'll, <laughs> we'll shoot each other with paintballs and light each other on fire. You know, like, oh we're God. obviously not going for that. No, but. no. I was recently just watching jackass with my teammates. We were stuck on trainers in Indiana between some races back in November. And, oh, my God. They're yeah. unreal, those guys. Maybe we should start jackass bike races. See, well, actually, when we, <laughs> so do you know James Wang? Yeah. Uh, so he was out riding at Valmont with us the other day as we were going around with Pete to stay in the course. And there are there's some pretty crazy stuff on yeah, the I course. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, some crazy drop drops or, you know, sections where when it's all roped off right now, it doesn't seem to make sense. And so James is like, and here's where they come out and start shooting us with paintballs. Yeah, and yeah. here's where we ride through the quicksand. And here's where the monkeys start dropping from the trees. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> I think it would be, I, you know what, let's put it on a cross race next year <laughs> with paintballs sections. Yeah. Do you remember mountain bike racing when they used to do the the race, like they had the line, the easy line, but then they, oh, right. they would have the hard line. Yeah, the A and, line and the, yeah, and like, or the pro line. And like the A line would sh- like shave maybe 30 seconds off, but it was like over a fucking just sheer cliff. Yeah. Maybe we did that like in road race. Well, they, they do that still, and it's even crazier now, like the... Not to get on the mountain biking necessarily, but the like the World Cup races are almost becoming like downhill races. Yeah. They're fabricating all these crazy drops and Ugh. these crazy stupid A lines and then yeah, sure. and then the B line. And I mean it's like um Georgia and Leah and a group of women, um I can't remember his name, had did some training with um this really well known mountain biker I can't remember sure. his name, but um, you know, just to be able to learn how to do all that stuff because it's getting it, it's cross country races now are so different than they used to yeah, be. Yeah. Um, because you used to go out for like maybe one or two big loops, and now they're doing five or six really short loops because they're trying to make it spectator friendly, yeah. which is good and bad. I mean, it's good for the sport, you want people watching. But it also changes the dynamic in the courses a lot. Yeah. And, uh, I just want to change the dynamic. I don't want to make it more dangerous. Right. And that's kind of what they're becoming. I mean, I, I don't know if you talked to Katie about it, but like, I think that was part of her thing last year or whenever she was riding for Rabobank uh-huh. and trying to do some of the World Cups. They were stupid. Yeah. Stupid, scary, and, and, and dangerous. And she's like, I didn't sign up for this kind of stuff. No, you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people are hurting themselves just in the pre-ride. Yeah. You know, and having to spend hours just going over a certain sector, just even getting the, me, I'd be out there like, hell no, I'm not doing that. I want to see one where somebody throws their bike off first and then runs down. <laughs> so in Zolder, the Zolder World Cup, um, there's a run-up that I would rather just throw my bike to the top and run up. Seriously. It is so oh, steep. Did you do it? I want it to. Oh, I want I it to. Because it's like you've got your bike over your shoulder yeah. and you're trying to center gravity all off. Well, that and then your front wheel starts hitting. It's so steep in front of you that your front wheel is jam- yeah. getting jammed into the ground. And so you've got to like pretty much kind of have your bike off the back of your shoulder as you're trying to go up and forward. <laughs> I would love just to see somebody just hurl their bike. <laughs> Uh, it'd be funny. I'm the not sure. I don't know if I could actually throw it that far. That's the problem. Otherwise, I don't think we would. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and you didn't come back to the cross now. <laughs>